Sin is messy. Did you know that? It creates mess. When, when we rebel against the design of God, a huge mess ensues on multiple levels. And the testimony of Scripture is clear about this. When we walk through the narrative of the Bible, sin always leads to mess. From Genesis 3 forward, it's amazing how sin snowballs throughout human history. When we see the Old Testament, it's a story of God's people rejecting what he has said, rejecting his design and the consequences of that rejection playing out fully in their life. That's a major portion of what is found in the Old Testament. Now, of course, there's also God's glorious plan to set all things right, and we're going to rest in that today. But it's clear from the testimony of Scripture that when we verge away, when we divert from the plan and design of God, it's messy. And you may not even need the testimony of Scripture to affirm that because you see it in your own life, don't you? Don't we know that when we don't follow what God has said, when we get away from God's design, it becomes... It begins to get messy. And sometimes you find yourself in a place where it's very difficult to navigate the mess or to see a way out of it. It reminds me of some of the work I've been able to do over the years in mud outs. Now maybe you've had the opportunity to help a family in need in a mud out. I'm not sure how prevalent it is up here in Raleigh, but I tell you growing up in Louisiana and living in South Louisiana and in Houston for a number of years, we had a lot of hurricanes, a lot of flooding, and we had a lot of opportunity to go into homes of people who are devastated by rising floodwaters. It's amazing what the damage that water can do. It's amazing what a foot, two foot, three foot, I've seen houses that had eight to 10 feet of water in them. It's amazing the damage, the devastation that it causes when you walk in and the, the carpet is sopping wet, the, the sheetrock is ruined. Every single thing these families had collected for the entirety of their lives, all the furniture, all the, the nostalgic items lost. And, and they're in such despair. They're so overwhelmed by the mess. They don't even know where to begin. And so it's helpful to have some people who can come in and say, here's where you begin. You, you need to eat this elephant one bite at a time to see your way out of the mess. This morning, our text, Matthew chapter five, Matthew chapter 19, our text directs us to consider the messiness of sin in marriage, and especially when it leads to divorce. And what better thing can we talk about on Valentine's weekend than that? Divorce. Now, from the beginning, I want you to know that I recognize that the issue of divorce, divorce is both sensitive and complicated. I know we have many in our church who have been affected by divorce in multiple ways. I just want you to hear that my desire today is not to, to have anyone sit in condemnation, but rather to allow the the words of scripture to help us navigate the messiness of divorce and its implications for the people of God, to raise the value of marriage 
and to encourage us as much as it is possible with every fiber of our being to resist the possibility of divorce in our marriages. We need to address this topic because Jesus does. And and our commitment to expository preaching, when we come to difficult topics, we don't get to skip over them. In fact, it's not good for us to skip over these things. It's good for us to hear what our Lord, Jesus Christ, has to say on the subject. And he's got a lot to say. And we see it as we walk through the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter five. Not unlike our own time, Christ is teaching about divorce when there are a lot of opinions on the subject. There were different camps regarding when it was appropriate to divorce and when it was appropriate not to divorce. The more conservative approach among God's people said that it was only in the case of marital infidelity that divorce was permissible. In fact, it may be required of you if there was marital infidelity. On the other side of the spectrum, the more liberal approach suggested that you could issue a certificate for almost any reason. For instance, one of the commentators said that if your wife burned your dinner, you could divorce her on the spot. Be careful what you say to your wife, men. (laughs) Now, while that may seem extreme, I think if we're honest, we're not that different today, many of us, and how we have trivialized marriage and trivialized divorce. Irreconcilable differences covers a number of seemingly insignificant issues that people use to justify getting a divorce. I remember vividly driving down I-20 in Dallas and seeing a billboard from a divorce lawyer. And here's what it said. Want more closet space? (laughs) Call me to get a divorce. I mean, it would be funny if it wasn't so tragic that they would treat marriage the covenant of marriage, the institution of marriage, so carelessly. Now listen, I know every divorce is not the result of a careless reason, but many are. And we need to make sure as the people of God that we take this subject seriously because God takes this subject seriously. So Jesus in two separate accounts in the Gospel of Matthew, again, chapter five, chapter 19, speaks about the issue of divorce and consequently the issue of marriage. To help us know as his people and citizens of the kingdom why marriage matters and why we should fight for it. So this morning, we wanna look at these two passages to help us understand how we should view marriage and divorce as part of the kingdom of God. Our goal today is this. We want the word of God to bring clarity to the messiness of divorce because it's our authority. We wanna answer the question, why does God take marriage so seriously? And why is divorce such a big deal to God that he says in Malachi 2.16 that he hates it? Strong words. So we're gonna begin with Christ teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 31 and 32, and then we're gonna jump over to Matthew chapter 19, verses one to 12, where Jesus offers a more expanded teaching on the issue of divorce. Here's what the word of God says, Matthew 5. It was also said, and notice the, the same construction. Here's what has been said of God's people in the Old Testament. I'm gonna press further, not doing away with the law, fulfilling it. I'm gonna press it further to get to your heart. It was also said in the past, 
Whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you now that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. And then Jesus expands these comments later, Matthew 19, verses 1 to 12. Now, when Jesus had finished these sayings, he went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. And large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. And Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? And he answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And they said to him, why then did Moses command one to give her a certificate of divorce and to send her away? And he said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. And the disciples said to him, well, if such is the case of a man with his wife, it's better not to marry. And he said to them, not everyone can receive this saying, but only to those whom it is given. For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. And I would submit to you there's not a sentence in the history of the English language that uses eunuchs more than this one. <laughs> but the one who is able to receive this, receive it. Now, there's obviously a lot in this passage that we need to unpack to strive to understand as it relates to marriage and divorce. And we're going to focus largely on Matthew 19 because of the way it expands what Jesus offers in Matthew chapter 5. But let me say from the beginning that this is a good thing. This teaching is a good thing for all of us to consider, regardless of our marital state. It's good for single people to think about. If you're single in the room, this is a, a good thing for you to consider as you potentially prepare for marriage, but also as you counsel your brothers and sisters who are married around you. You wanna counsel them biblically. For married people, this is an important topic for us today as we think about how to protect our marriage for the glory of God. And for those who have been divorced in the past, it's a good moment for us to consider the effect of Christ's teaching on our lives, but also to rest in the grace that his work came to offer. And I want you to hear me this morning because I know you're gonna feel more on edge if you've been through divorce as we teach about divorce. I want you to hear me this morning. If you are in Christ, there is therefore now no condemnation for you. There's grace in Jesus. There's healing in Jesus there is love in Jesus. So you rest in that, even as we deal with the truth of God's word. Now, the Matthew 19 passage on marriage and divorce begins with a question from the Pharisees. And it was not a question that was well-intentioned. 
as we will see throughout the Gospel of Matthew, they're trying to trap Jesus and get him in trouble, hoping that he'll end up like maybe John the Baptist, arrested. So they ask Jesus in verse 3, Jesus, where do you fall on the issue of divorce? Can, can someone get divorced for any reason? And in response to their question, Jesus offers kind of a, a basic theology of marriage. And he goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, for the foundation of what he offers in this theology of marriage. He wants us to know this. From the beginning, God has designed man to live in relationship. And he specifically designed men and women, for the most part, to live in a marriage relationship, a, a covenant relationship that would form the, the bedrock of a godly society and further God's revelatory and redemptive purposes. If you think back to the creation narrative, there's so much that God calls good in his creation. What's the one thing that God said is not good, that man should be alone. And so as a result, he, he creates them, male and female, to live in relationship, to live in community, because humanity would progress through the family, and the family would form the foundation of discipleship and worship for the people of God. Marriage for the people of God was to become a, a picture of commitment, it was to be a picture of covenant because the way you treated each other in your covenant marriage was to be a reflection of the way that you were covenanted with a holy and righteous God. It was to, to teach you about the nature of covenant with him, but also reinforce that covenant. This happens a lot in God's creative economy. And all of our relationships are meant to help us understand in better ways our relationship to God. I think about my own home. I got some kids and I'm aware of the fact that my role as their father will influence the way they think about their heavenly father by design. This is part of God's design. In a, in a perfect world, in a, an ideal world, a world that I strive to create for my, my kids, they will look at me and learn truth about their heavenly father. And hopefully it will draw them to their heavenly father who's perfect in ways that I am not. And I'm not, because I'm not perfect. And in those moments, I gotta point them to him to say, hey, here, who, here's who is perfect. And the same thing is true of Jordan and I's marriage. When, when they are observing Jordan and I, they're observing a picture of God's love for the church and the church's response to that love, appropriate response to that love, as a picture of the gospel. So, we need to recognize that, that our marriage relationship is meant to be a discipleship tool for our kids, but also a benefit for us because as Jordan and I commit ourselves to, to covenant and walking in covenant, it's reminding us that we are part of a greater covenant people who are married to the greater bridegroom, Jesus Christ. And, and our walking in faithfulness, it's meant to help us walk in greater faithfulness, to reinforce the calling to walk in faithfulness to Jesus Christ himself. So marriage matters to God, especially for his people. When you step into a marriage relationship, you need to know that you are stepping into something of eternal significance. 
It is not just a legal agreement. God joins you together in covenant such that the two become one. That did not originate with the Spice Girls. Some of you are going to get that. It originated with God himself. And your union is meant to say something about God's union with his people. Jesus says, because of the redemptive and eternal significance of marriage, man must not seek to undo what God has done. Friends, we don't have the privilege, the right, or the luxury of standing in God's place. So we should seek to do everything we can. We should seek to honor the Lord with all of our might by honoring the covenant that we have made and the supernatural union that God has made. This is appropriate for kingdom citizens. This is appropriate for the kingdom of God. But then there's a, there's a follow-up question in verse seven. But, okay, Jesus, if what you say is true, then why did Moses command for a certificate of divorce to be given to wives in certain circumstances, was Moses wrong? Jesus, are, are you saying that Moses, the giver of the law, the, the, the greatest deliverer in the history of God's people before Jesus, of course, are you saying that Moses was wrong when he commanded these things? Well, Jesus answers them. Moses didn't command this. If you look at Deuteronomy 24, 1 through 4, there's actually a very specific circumstance that Moses is addressing. And even then, in allowing it, he did not command it. God made provision for this through Moses because of man's sinfulness. Jesus is clear in verse 8 about why divorce happens. Divorce happens because of our hardness of heart. And that was not God's intention in the beginning. The intention is for you to stay married. The design is for you to stay married. But in certain circumstances, God allows for divorce because the transgression is so great. And then Jesus offers his authoritative teaching in verse 9. Whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery because regardless of what is said legally you're still bound in the eyes of God God has not released you this is especially true of the people of God and remember he's speaking to the people of God here and it's important for us to to rightly situate the context when you are a Christian when you are a part of God's people you have a responsibility to take marriage seriously as part of your commitment to God and the disciples answer him in verse 10, well, it would just be easier for us to all remain single than to put ourselves in danger of God's judgment. And Jesus says, you're right, largely. It'd be easier, but not everyone is able to remain single. God calls some to remain single in order to be more devoted to his work. That's a spiritual gift, by the way. But the majority of God's people will be married. And that is a good thing. It's a good thing by God's design. It just needs to be protected. Church family, our marriages should look different. 
And certainly our divorce rate should look different because of our commitment to God. So that's the passage. Jesus teaches us, talks to us about marriages marriages and divorce. He, He challenges his people to have a different heart for marriage and to take it seriously because of God's design. So here's what I'd like to do in our remaining time together this morning. I wanna try to synthesize Christ's teaching in a helpful way for us, to put together some some helpful statements to articulate for us a theology of marriage and divorce based on the teaching of Jesus. I want us to raise our understanding of the significance of divorce and also caution us and warn us of the danger of divorce. Four points here that I want to draw about our basic theology of marriage and divorce. Point number one, marriage is a gift from God and part of his created design. Now we've already mentioned this, but I think it bears repeating. Christ's reference to the creation narrative in verses four and five of our text, Matthew 19, is not insignificant. In fact, it's very significant. Jesus' answer to the Pharisees does not begin with the teaching of man. It begins with the design of God. From the beginning, God designed human beings to be male and female, despite what you may hear in other places. And he designed these human beings, male and female, to live in relationship, and for the most part, a marriage relationship between a woman and a man. And this union that is created serves God's redemptive purposes. And again, not only to populate the earth, but that's the institution by which we are to populate the earth, but to populate the earth with worshipers of God. We are to have families that raise up children who love the Lord their God with all of their heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's the design. That a marriage relationship would have a committed institution, union of followers of Jesus who have kids, who then raise them up to know Jesus and love God with every part of their being. And additionally to that, moreover, this commitment and relationship was to teach about the nature of God himself who exists in perfect community. God is a Trinitarian God. He is three persons and one being. It blows my mind too. But he exists in perfect fellowship, perfect relationship, so much so that three are one. And part of God's image being in us is that we are called to live in relationship. And we are like God. We become more like God when we live in marriage relationship to becoming one. Not perfect, but becoming a picture and helping us more understand the reality of God's being. So how we treat one another matters. It can strengthen our, our marriage and our, and our marriage relationship. It can strengthen our understanding of God, but it can also weaken our understanding of God. And this leads to point number two. Marriage is a covenant that has spiritual dimensions. Marriage is not just a physical agreement. It is not 
a business transaction. Although I've heard people describe their reason for getting married that way. Well, Jared, it just made more sense from a tax perspective for us to go ahead and get married. There's no reason for us to pay two mortgages or two, two rents on apartments. So we just decided to get married and you know, reap the economic benefits of marriage. Can I just tell you this morning, that's a terrible reason to get married. It will cost you a whole lot more than you gain if you get married for the wrong reason. It is something that is of God and before God. When we get married, we are saying that this relationship, this union is a provision from God and we are committing ourselves to one another as a testimony to God. We believe that he has orchestrated this moment of marriage and that he will hold us together. And that testimony is meant to advance the gospel. That's what Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 21 to 33. Let me read this for you. This is so important. One of my favorite passages in all of Scripture. Paul says this, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ talking to the community of God's people, but then transitioning to specifically deal with the marriage relationship. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And listen to this. This mystery, this union, this two becoming one, is profound. And I am saying authoritatively under the, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, directed by God, I am saying that this union refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Do you see what Paul is saying here? That on the other side of the work of Christ, the testimony and significance of marriage has heightened as there's now attached to it gospel significance. Our marriage is meant to declare the gospel. Men, as we sacrificially love our wives, as we lay down our life for them, as we wash them with the word of God, directing them toward holiness and purity, and as our, our wives respond to that sacrificial love by respecting husbands and, and walking after their leadership, it's a picture of Christ's love for the church and our response as the church to Christ. It matters. It matters. And that's why, number three, 
God responds so strongly to divorce? Because it's a, a false testimony of the gospel. It contradicts the gospel. Divorce is always the result of sin, and God hates it. It is always the result of sin, and God's, God hates it. Jesus is clear why divorce is allowed. 19.8, our hardness of heart is what leads to divorce. God sees the messiness of sin at work. He sees the wake of sin and he knows the heartache it will bring. He knows the destruction it will leave in its wake. And that's why he grieves over divorce. That's why he hates divorce. And that's why we as God's people should also grieve over divorce. And my guess is every single person in this room who has had the unfortunate opportunity to walk through divorce would agree that it's not good. It's, it's messy, it's bad. It leaves a wake of unintended consequences. Now listen, I'm not saying that all parties are always equal in the sin that's brought to the table. In fact, you may be a victim today and your position in a divorce, but it is the result of sin. It's the result of being in a broken and fallen world. And that's why church family, let us never celebrate divorce. Whenever it happens, it's always a grievous thing. It's a sad thing. Finally, divorce is allowed in certain circumstances, but listen, is never required. I love this interaction that Jesus has with the, the Pharisees when they try to trap him about Moses. Verse seven, they said to him, why then did Moses command? Notice that? It's a strong word, right? Why did Moses command that we give certificates of divorce and send our, our wives on her way? And he says to them, it's because of your hardness of heart that Moses allowed. It's a very different understanding of what Moses is doing here, right? There's provision because of sin, but it is not required. Let's press into this a little bit. Listen, Jesus says for my people, porneia is the only justification for divorce. That's a, a loaded Greek word that means adultery, but also other sexually illicit behaviors. And Jesus says, if someone's engaged in that kind of breach of covenant, adultery, sexually illicit behavior, that divorce is possible, but it is not required. And I want to talk about this because I just want us to understand the possibility here of the testimony of the gospel in a moment like this. Let's say that you're in a marriage and you find out that your spouse had an affair or is engaged in something so illicit that it would rise to the level of what Jesus describes here as porneia. And you have the freedom, according to Jesus' teaching, to get out of that marriage. But what if? What if that spouse is truly repentant? What if that spouse is really is truly desirous to change and to 
make amends? And what if grace was shown? What if forgiveness was shown? I'm not saying that you can get trust back overnight, but what if there was a commitment to walking and growing and restoring that relationship? Is there a, a more beautiful picture of the gospel than that? Friends, how often have we committed adultery on God? I mean, that, that phrase is used throughout the Old Testament to describe what happens when God's people worship other gods. It's a breach of covenant, and yet God made a way in Jesus for us to be rescued, forgiven, to experience grace. Can you imagine when the world is saying, get out of this marriage, for you to say, you know what? I'm gonna, I'm gonna give this marriage another shot. I'm gonna walk in forgiveness and grace. It's gonna take me a while. I'm hurt, I'm deeply wounded, but I believe that the gospel can rescue this marriage. Now, I'm not saying it can happen every time, but I am saying I've seen it. And it is a powerful, powerful witness to the, to the work of Jesus. I want you to hear me this morning. There are no irreconcilable differences in the gospel. Not if, not if we both gather in repentance before the cross. His work is big enough to cover everything. Now, Jared, what about Paul's teaching in 1 Corinthians 7? Doesn't Paul introduce in 1 Corinthians 7 a, a different reason for getting divorced? Well, Paul's engaging in 1 Corinthians 7 a different situation. He's, he's dealing with people who get married before they are followers of Christ. He's not contradicting Jesus, but simply de de uh, dealing with a different reality that happens as the gospel is expanding. What if a married person converts to Christianity and their spouse abandons them because of their faith? And that happens even today. Paul says in that event that they are abandoned. So notice we've added from adultery, now abandonment. If they are abandoned, they are free to remarry. But he does say, as much as it's possible, they should strive to remain married so that they can win them to Christ. But if the spouse refuses, they are free. But Jerry, what about abuse? Where's abuse in all this? And I want you to hear me say clearly this morning. We would never and are not advocating for anyone here or ever to stay in a dangerous relationship. And I want you to know that if you are in a situation today where you are being abused emotionally, physically, we want to help. We will find you a safe place. We will, we will get you the help that you need. And we'll engage in church discipline. And chances are, if the spouse that is abusive is unrepentant, they're probably not followers of Jesus because I don't know anybody who's been transformed by the, the gospel of Jesus Christ that could treat someone, especially someone they claim to love, the way that abusive spouses treat their spouse. And in that scenario, 1 Corinthians 7 could apply. Now listen, I can't go through every possible scenario this morning as it regards divorce, but I do think it's clear that Christ is asking us to elevate our commitment to marriage and to make divorce only in very specific circumstances a last resort. We gotta fight 
for our marriages for the sake of the gospel. But let me also say again, loudly and clearly this morning, if you would say, Jared, I think I was a part of an unbiblical divorce. Again, let me remind you that God's grace is big enough to cover any sin. All of us have failures. All of us need Jesus. And you can rest in that provision today. Listen, you don't need to wear a scarlet letter for adultery the rest of your life because you can be covered by crimson blood. And you rest in that today. And let me get specific here. Let me give you some applications. And I'm gonna try to be, I'm gonna try to cover all of us who are in this room. If you are divorced, if you have been divorced, what do you do? Well, if your marriage has ended for a biblical reason, again, adultery, abandonment, something within that umbrella, consider how you can best serve the Lord. Should you remain single and devote yourself more completely to the work of the gospel? Or should you again be married and devote that marriage to the work of the gospel? You have some freedom there and we, we can certainly come alongside you to help counsel you as you wrestle with God's provision for you and calling for you as you walk forward in faithfulness. If your marriage has ended for another reason, an unbiblical reason, and you are the cause of it, have you repented? If you played any role in it, have you repented of that? Have you grieved in the right way, not just the loss of that relationship, but the effects, the gospel effect that it has and the wake of sin that caused it and maybe came out of it? Have you repented of that? And let me just say this morning, if you are both still single, consider whether or not restoration is possible and seek restoration. And you may say, Jared, you just don't know how bad our marriage was. There's, there's no way. We've been divorced too long. I know a couple, dear friends in Houston, Texas, that got divorced, were divorced for seven years and never remarried. And in the course of their time being divorced, the Lord began to stir in their hearts that, hey, I don't know that we ended this marriage for the right reasons. And they began to connect with each other and revisit some of the things that took place in their marriage. And seven years later, they got married and they've been married for well over 10 years since then and using their testimony as a way to encourage those who are thinking about divorce. I'm telling you, you may think it's not possible. As, as the men in this room heard, God loves to take what we think is impossible and do the impossible for his glory. Our God is in the business of resurrection. And there's no marriage that's too dead for the power of the gospel. Don't, don't sell God short on how he can change hearts and restore marriages. If the person that you divorce is not a believer, then try to introduce them to Jesus. Pray for them. If they've remarried or you have, live as you are and use your current marriage for the glory of God. Don't divorce your current spouse and go back. We're not advocating that. <laughs> live as you are for the glory of God. And if you're single, think about the opportunity that you have right now 
to serve the Lord more completely and devote more of your life to the things of God. Now, to the single, pray for your married friends. Marriage is tough. It's wonderful. It's a, it's a wonderful gift, but it's difficult because the enemy comes after us because God has attached so much gospel significance to marriage. The enemy wants to break down the family. He wants to break down marriages. So pray for those of us who are married and prepare. If God has called you to marriage, prepare right now to be the best husband or wife that you can be. Walk in holiness. Walk in faithfulness. Devote your life to Christ so that when you come together, you can run that race together. Take seriously marriage and do not enter into it hastily. Get some good marriage counseling, premarital counseling on the front end. Let a pastor press into places because marriage doesn't resolve issues. It amplifies them. So the more we can do to help you walk in, set up for success, the better for you, the better for the church, and encourage your brothers or sisters who are married in moments of struggle. Biblically. When they come to you and they say, I just don't know that I can continue in this marriage. Don't say, well, come on out here to the single life. It's great. Get out of the ball and chain. That's not biblical wisdom. You say, hey, no, you fight. You fight. Let us help you. Let's pray for you. Let me, let me help you fight for this marriage for the glory of God, because that's what honors the Lord. To the married, fight for your marriage. Work on your marriage and the testimony of the gospel that is attached to it. And don't wait until it's too late to get help. All of us need help. All of us need wisdom. All of us need encouragement. Don't wait till it's too late. I, I, so many times in ministry, I've seen people get divorced and we think we had no idea there were even issues there. They didn't give us the opportunity to help. Let us, let the pastors and ministers here, let the godly older couples or more mature couples in this church come alongside you to help you. It would be our joy to get into the messiness with you. You may be sitting there looking at your house and it's in 10 feet of water, but there's a way to get out. It is not too late. It's not. Let us come work alongside you for the glory of God. And church family, can we be encouraged this morning by remembering that we have a faithful bridegroom whose name is Jesus, who loves his church and will never leave us and he will never forsake us. And he will come back to take us home where we will get to live with him, feast with him, worship him, for all of eternity. Let's strive to be faithful to our faithful Jesus and our earthly relationships for his glory. Amen. Wherever you are, would you bow your heads? Spend some time asking God to help you know how to respond this morning to the word. Let me ask you this question. Are you married to Jesus? Have you stepped into a saving covenant relationship with him? by confessing with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believing in your heart that God raised him from the dead to be saved. I got good news for you today. 
if you've never given your life to Jesus, if you've never committed your life to him, today can be the day of your salvation. You can repent and believe in him today and be a part of his family. Just a minute, we'll have some pastors and ministers here in the front. We'd love to speak with you more about that. We'll have people at our Discover Bayleaf station after the service today. They would love to speak with you more about that. For the rest of us, how are we doing? How are our marriages? Husbands, you loving your wife like Christ loved the church? Sacrificial? You loving her? Are you washing her with the word? I can grow in this. Where do you need to grow in that? Wives, how you doing? You loving your husband? You encouraging him? Following him? Are we together recognizing the, the weight of marriage, the gospel? Do you need some help? We'd love to help you. Come here and pray. Follow us, email us, whatever we can do to help you. We want to. For those who have been divorced, first of all, this morning, do not let the enemy bring down condemnation on you when there is none if you are in Christ Jesus. Repent if repentance is necessary. If you haven't already done it, then how can you walk forward allowing God to redeem that for his glory? In a new marriage? In your singleness? His grace is enough. Let's all think about that day when our bridegroom, King Jesus, will come and take us home and we never have to worry about him leaving. We will be with him for eternity. Father, would you help us know how to respond in the right way this morning? Find us faithful as your people. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. You stand and respond as the Lord leads. Thank you for worshiping with us. For more information about Bayleaf Baptist Church, visit our website, bayleaf.org.